Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today is a very special day. I am sitting in the presence of, and he's going to be so mad at me when I say this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in the presence of one of my favorite people in the entire world. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into some of this today, but I don't even think that Mr. Barry Lipparelli begins to understand the impact that he's had on me and my life and so many other people. Um, so one of the main reasons why I started the Investing for Freedom podcast was I found myself just surrounded by amazing people. And I thought to myself, man, um, I want to share this with the world. And we're going to get into this a little bit later in the interview too. But I had somebody ask me the other day if, if Barry was a paid mentor of mine. And I'm like, no, I mean, Barry's never asked for anything from me. Um, we've done a lot of different types of business together, but he's definitely not a paid mentor. And there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of paid coaches. There's a lot of paid mentoring. But I've found that some of the most amazing people that I've had on this podcast and that I get to get in front of are not paid mentors. They do it because they love it. They do it because um, it's a give back thing. They've, you know, there's that concept about to whom much is given, much is required. And I think Barry kind of falls into that. So without further ado, um, we're just going to get into this. So Mr. Barry, I appreciate you uh, joining me today. Thanks. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Um, so there's four questions that we always start out with. Um, so who's had the greatest impact on your life? Boy, I've had several, I've had several people that, uh, have, uh, impacted me most. My father was, uh, a businessman and, uh, he sold life insurance for quite a few years and then decided to, uh, go into the real estate business. And I was a young kid, but I used to hang around the office all the time and uh i like listening to the deals and uh found it very interesting but uh he was uh conservative had gone through the depression and uh so he was money wise and i've found in the past that there's different facets of life. One of them's uh, physical, like if you get hit by a semi-truck, you're going to die. And then there's biological, so that if you get cancer or coronavirus, you're up a creek usually. And uh, then there's also economic law. And he was uh, had gleaned that most of his life, and I didn't appreciate it as much as I did until I went to school. And I think what the Lord does to people is gives them a talent that uh, they have to find. I, got, I went into the real estate with my, I hung my license with my dad. And people would come in and they'd say to me, I want to talk to a salesman. And I said, well, I am a salesman. I said, well, we want to talk to a broker. And I said, well, I am a broker. In those days, you could just, if you got a high enough score, you could get the broker. So then they say, I want to talk to your dad. In other words, 
they don't think that you have any expertise in, and that you didn't know anything. So I could see real quickly that wasn't going to work too well. So I went to work for the assessor's office in the taxation department and uh, became an appraiser. So I got a background in taxes and appraising. And then I uh, met my wife, who, by the way, was another person that was has been a, a tremendous influence in my life. The bearing that she has on the real estate is she she has a real low risk tolerance of about one, <laughs> and I have a risk tolerance of about ten. <laughs> so between the two of us, it averages out about five, which is pretty good. So when I, when I made my first real estate investment, she was scared to death, and then dawned on her that I wasn't the enemy, so I was trying to do it for the benefit of the family. And uh, I want to go back to my dad a little bit. One time I had, a, before he passed away, I had some equity positions. And I used to tell him, I said, hell, all I got is equity positions. I don't have any cash. And he said, I said, I won't have any cash till that damn thing gets paid for. And he says, well, uh, I'll be 65. He said, well, you're going to be 65 someday anyway. You might as well have something paid for. I thought, you yeah, know, that's kind of smart. Yeah. And uh, also one of the problems with real estate people are called brokers is because they're always broke. <laughs> and what that means is they got all these real good real estate deals they're going to buy into. So they, they end up buying uh, a lot of property. And so, uh, which is all right if, you, if you're astute about it. But yeah. The benefits that uh, real estate give are tremendous. And there's nobody in the world that's not affected by real estate. Mm -hmm. You're either buying a house or you're renting a house or you're uh, worst comes to worst you're sleeping on the ground mm -hmm. you're somewhere there's no real estate's involved in it and uh the challenges of it and the opportunities of it has always uh, been thrilling to me and because uh, i think it's real beneficial for the community that's awesome anyway those are the two most important people my dad number one and uh, and my wife nice i like it Great stuff, Barry. Super, super inspiring. So if you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would it be? And maybe another way to phrase that is what is your superpower? I would say probably the, to see the deals. Uh, and that's probably that talent that the Lord gave me. But I can look at, I can look. In fact, I walk into businesses and I can sit down and, uh, Pretty soon I'll tell my wife, I say, they got too many employees, or I'll mm. tell my wife they uh, they need to do this and do that. And finally she'll say to me, that's not your problem. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, one of the things, I'm, because of years of being an experience, owning real estate is a lot of work. It, mm -hmm. it looks like it's real easy. It's like everything else. If you know how to do it, it's great. But if you don't know how to do it, it's a bear cat. But when I drive through a community, new town or something like that. I look at the buildings and I think, golly, somebody's in charge of that one and somebody's in charge of that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it takes uh, quite a bit of expertise. And I kind of alluded to that a little bit. Like you have to have a, a background, a little bit in appraising and a little bit of uh, quite a bit of financing. And uh, you have to know economics and uh, so it takes quite a bit. It's kind of like a rancher. They got, they got expertise. You know, they got to worry about crops and worry about mm -hmm. prices and worry about diseases and worry about production and worry about hay and mm -hmm. feeding the animals and weather. Yeah, weather. Every, there's a yeah. million insects and diseases. And 
million factors that you have to know. It's the same thing with real estate, but if you get it, you can learn it. And uh, uh, all you have to do is, is focus and pay attention. The interesting thing I noticed about real estate, though, is there's so many facets of it that you pretty much have to zero in on one particular facet, meaning you can get into uh, multiple family housing or you can get into commercial property or you can get into sales residential or you can get mm -hmm. into construction and residential. And uh, you can get go to work in title companies or you can, of course, attorneys, have to, they, they usually specialize in real estate because it has its own set of problems. And... Uh, on and on and on. So there's lots of lots of opportunities, but you have to pretty much focus. Uh, and I think a real key that we've had was our flexibility, because at one time uh, we built we were building houses, mm. and uh, then the the uh, interest rates went insane. Mm. So then we would switch to a different product or a different. I'll give you an example. One time we had a development in Elko where they developed a whole bunch of mobile home lots in the Spring Creek area. So I went and bought as many as they let me buy, which was about 10 at the time. And in those days, you put ten, in that case, you put 10% down and 10% interest. They finance you for 10 years. So then I, then I thought, oh, I tell you, one of the things my dad taught me was real important is the impeccability of your credit. Mm. Pay your bills. So and it'll come out why. So then I went to Idaho, Boise, and I was looking for uh, people that wanted to sell their mobile homes, used mobile homes. And then I would find out who was financing it and find out if it was an assumable contract. Mm -hmm. yeah, some financial institutions, yes, and some no. So if I called you up on the phone and you told me such and such financial institution, which I knew was assumable, then all I had to do is go dicker with you to determine how much it was going to put a down payment and mm -hmm. buy your property from you. Oh, I'll also look at the condition and make sure it was a, something we could utilize. And once that was done and you negotiated to buy it, I hired an outfit to bring all the mobile homes to Nevada. And I went out and developed the mobile home lots and put the mobile homes on there. and the financing with FHA in those days was also 10 years mm. on mobiles. So you might have an eight year, nine year, 10 year contract. And, uh, then I was, I sold them and, uh, I carried the paper for 20 years. Wow. <laughs> Wrap around. Yeah. And, uh, I thought, gee, I wonder why everybody else isn't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> But I found out in a hurry, it's called intense management. Mm. And we had, you don't know experiences. I'll tell you one real quick. We had a guy come from Alaska. He paid us a down payment, bought the property, and uh, moved in. And so, fine. So pretty soon the first of the month come around and held no payment. <laughs> so I thought, what the heck? We'll have to check this out. So my brother and I, we drove out there, and it was abandoned. And the guy had uh, put an addition on it, and it was all done except the roof, and the roofing material was sitting there. <laughs> so we just put the roofing material on top of that thing and finished it off and turned around and resold it again. Wow. If you can imagine. And then I had people call me up and say, uh, I'm done. So, well, let's list it. We'll try to get you some money. Nope. 
give it back to you. I don't want it. I'm gone. Okay. So we got them back that way. So mm-hmm. that was one of the problems that we were having. And then the utility company got bought out by uh, another utility company, and they raised the rates. And uh, these were all electric, so the heat bills got exorbitant, and they started abandoning the properties. Mm-hmm. So problem. So yeah. you go think and think and think and think, and I came up with an idea. So we went to Salt Lake City and bought wood stoves, brought them out and put all wood stoves in them, resold them. Yeah, everybody was happy. Yeah. That was the solution. But boy, it's scary when you're yeah. you're going through that. And uh we found out because of that intense management. We also had one that the guy vacated it and took off and he got up and went and got in his car and went to Timbuktu, we don't know where, but left everything. It's just like he was eating lunch or breakfast at the table and got up and walked out the door and left. Clothes, food. Everything, uh-huh. but the power got cut off because he wasn't paying the power company, which we eventually got that fixed up so it would switch back to us. And my brother and I went to look at it. It was so bad that we were embarrassed to ask cleaning people to come out there. <laughs> so we got sacks and opened up the refrigerator. There was fish oh. and potatoes rotted. We'd stick it into the, this is the downside of real estate. Totally. <laughs> so we'd stick it in, a, in bags and go outside and then, dry wretch for about 15 minutes and laugh like hell, go back in and get the stuff. <laughs> Finally got in a condition where we could bring a cleaning people to go out there and do it. But one of the reasons that that nobody else was doing is because of that intense management, which mm-hmm. you have to be prepared to handle that or not. So to level that out, we started a property management, which was also non-cash mm-hmm. acquisition and started building up, uh, doing the property management to take those big high ups and downs out of the consistency of insurance agency will do that also, by the way. And, uh, after a period of time, uh, we got so busy that I ended up giving the property management away. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing I was telling you about to be selective in the real estate thing, because there are people that just do property management and they're very, very successful. Mm-hmm. And it takes a, a certain type person to want to do that. I uh, sold a fourplex to a friend of mine one time and he was kind of a worry wart and he'd go by and pick up all the stuff off the ground and he'd cut the lawn and the guys would call him up and tell him they couldn't pay him for a month. He said, oh, that's fine. And hell, it was driving him insane mm-hmm. to the point that I said to him, man, let's sell that dude. His yeah. wife wasn't too excited, but she wasn't the one that was going through the stress. So right. We ended up selling it to it for about three or four years. Every time I'd run into him, oh, God, thank God we sold that. <laughs> so he just wasn't one of those guys. I've had other guys that that's just exactly the thing they should be doing because that fits their personality and their goals and what they want to do. And uh, that's that finding your talent mm-hmm. thing. So when you get into the real estate, you can look and see which one you want to pursue and pursue that one mainly because you. Being a jack of all trades, you don't you're not as as successful as if you're paying attention to one goal that you're taking. Now you can have a goal and get to the end of that, and then switch to another facet to go mm-hmm. further if you want. And that's what we ended up doing. One of the that's why I mentioned flexibility is real, real important. I like that. I have this. You probably haven't heard this because it. I I don't think we've ever talked about it, but I've kind of created a five part formula that I kind of teach people and it's, what do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Measure results and adjust. And you were talking about flexibility and I get more people that ask me about the adjust part. Like why is adjust in there? 
And it's because of all these things that you're talking about, like, you know, coronavirus is a great example. Um, you know, I think a lot of people knew that some kind of financial correction was coming, but to come this fast and this yeah. hard and, well, you know, I talked to you, yeah, I talked to you a month ago and you said in your lifetime, you've never seen anything like this. No. no. Yeah. So we've got to be able to be flexible, right? Oh man, like, I'm telling you, the, the only thing that saved us through that was, uh, the strength of the financial statement and, uh, the reason it's stronger now than it was is because we've had time to accumulate and do debt reduction and stuff like that. And, uh, however, that's ended up being a real strength for us. Mm. And we've had situations where, uh, people, people wanted help through that thing. And we've been able to help them because we're in that position. So mm -hmm. it's kind of nice. That's cool. That's yeah, nice. And, uh, I think uh, the majority of it's somewhat over unless we get another spike, and that's the only thing I'm concerned about at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting times for sure. What was your greatest? I'm I'm excited to hear this. What was your greatest setback, and what did you learn from it? Oh boy, <laughs> exactly <laughs> what that was. I went into a partnership with a cousin of mine in the Reno area, and. Uh, we actually had been in partnership in the Elko area and had invested monies for him and had managed it and been real successful in made him, in made him money. So it came to the decision to, to invest in the Reno area because that's where he lived and we thought we were doing the right thing. And uh, we had a good rapport up to that point. And we started buying uh, properties and uh, making investments and stuff. And then all of a sudden, uh, after about a year, it dawned on us that he was embezzling mm. from us. And that was kind of a shocker. Yeah. In fact, uh, we learned a couple of interesting things. If you're in a partnership, and the only way to rectify that partnership is you have to go through the court systems, hmm. which is tougher. If you have a uh, LLC, the person with the controlling interest can elect uh the operating manager and subsequently if there's four of you together for example and three of you are in agreement with something and the other guy's not you can vote to have that guy if he's the operating manager switched out hmm. so that's what we did on the on the llc portions that we had and then took over the properties which was a real burden because i was up to my keister and alligators in the elko area and had to stop not stop it but pursue rectifying that down there because at one point we owe, we owed more money than uh, I used to make in a year mm. and uh, it was incredible mm -hmm. and so we had to go through the the uh, court systems as a result we went through two district courts and went through two supreme courts mm. and I have a canceled check on my desk my shelving over there mm where the attorney that brought the last Supreme Court thing was such a goofus that the Supreme Court fined him for malfeasance and what have you. Wow. Well, we lost about $50,000. They fined him three hundred. dollars <laughs> <laughs> So I got a copy of the canceled check. Anyway, we, we won both the district court and both the Supreme Court, but we built a new wing on the lawyers offices with the amount of monies that it cost us it was ex it was staggering hmm. amount of money in in doing that i learned 
to be real cautious on my partnerships. Mm. We don't have partnerships. We've got LLCs once in a while, but we don't have partnerships. And uh, uh, it taught us to be a little bit more cautious. I think I probably am a little bit naive in that I'm in a smaller community where everybody knows everybody. And uh, you, your reputation is imperative. And that uh, in a small community, if you violate that, you're going to be out of business whether you like it or not because people won't trust you if you lose that trust. Now, I haven't had the experience in a metropolitan area where that somebody might have the advantage of taking advantage of so many people nobody knows and they mm. can't relate. But in a smaller community, you can't get away with that. So that's pretty much was the worst, worst experience. It's probably a good time to bring up the three C's that you've taught me. Um, cause you were just bringing up, you know, the small community and in this day and age with technology and Yelp and the business rating systems and all that, it's probably easier in a metropolitan area to snuff that out a little bit, but, um, it still comes back to the three C's. Why don't you, why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? Well, I think I mentioned a little bit about one of my dad's told us about our credit, which is, uh, uh, very, very important. Your credit's real important. So we, we tried to keep our credit impeccable in fact i'll tell you some of the advantages when i when i went to uh boise to buy those mobile homes uh, i go to the financial institutions to get the as assumption thing and to find out if they wanted to market any so we went about four o'clock in the afternoon i took my financial statements a couple years income tax and uh gave the necessary information to the gal and she said i'll have an answer for you in the morning at eight o'clock okay thank you very much so we took off and the next morning i went to her office and at eight o'clock she said to me how many would you like to buy <laughs> and she didn't care how many we bought yeah. so we bought quite a few to get the 10 that we needed out there and then we ended up doing another 10 by the way and uh so having that impeccable credit rating and FICO scores and stuff like that, they didn't have FICO in those days, but they had a credit rating system. And you you would uh, you get that kind of response from people instead of hemming and hawing or whether why they want to mm -hmm. help you or not help you. Or, and then the other thing that was real important is your character. We have the philosophy that uh, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. And we we think part of our success was uh and i say success in that from our perspective of success now we don't have a hundred million dollars or anything like that but and uh a lot of times you get that success because you happen to be at the right place at the right time but the, these three c's play a real real important part in that thing and then your capabilities mm -hmm. what, what can you do and what can't you do so you don't want to tell somebody you're going to do something, then don't do it. So rather than do that, we'll say to you, geez, we just, at this time, we can't do that. Or we don't have the capability of doing that. Mm -hmm. And that way you get a reputation so that when you wheel and deal, and I'll, and I'll give you some little illustration of that. We had a friend that was a, he was a real character. He had to be coyote on a, on, on his deals for some reason i don't know if it was psychological or if this is the way he was raised or if that's what he thought was good business but i remember taking offers on a piece of property from him mm. and i would go to the seller and they would say to me who 
who is who is this buyer? And I would tell them the name, and they would say, no, thanks. Hmm. They wouldn't even look at the offers. They wouldn't. He had that kind of reputation. Mm -hmm. Well, who needs that? You're not going to be very successful if you uh, haven't got a confidence. And then on the credit thing, one time I bought a piece, a fourplex from a fellow, and uh, he carried the paper for me. And then I bought a, another piece of property, was a commercial property, and the guy carried the paper for me. And we made the payments like crazy. And then an opportunity came up where we had to go to a financial institution and borrow the money. And they want to know your deals, what you got cooking and stuff like that. So I took them all the information. So they wrote letters and, app and uh, forms to fill out by both of these guys that had carried the paper for me. Both of them brought the paper to me, signed blank, and told me to fill it in and send it into the financial <laughs> institution, which is a big no-no. Yeah, and the financial institutions don't like that. So I, I sat with them to fill a thing out to mm -hmm. make sure that they knew what the heck was cooking what was on there. And we told it exactly like it was. And as a result, we got the financing. Yeah. And then I'll tell you another one. I kind of blew me, blew me away. We had a gal here that was a manager in a, or it was a, in a secretary in a savings and loan association. And I watched as she manipulated the manager out of his job. He lost his job, and she took over the thing, and it stuck in our crop. But we were taught also to keep your mouth shut and keep your nose out of everybody else's business, even though you don't like it. You <laughs> shut up, you know. Years later, I had an opportunity to buy a 42-unit apartment complex, and I went to the financial, a different financial institution in the Reno area, this gal was the secretary to the boss. Hmm. So if I had a raised tell with yeah. her, and when I went in there, I'm positive she told that boss, oh, yeah, I've dealt with those guys. They know what the heck they're doing. There's mm -hmm. no problem. We would have shot ourselves in the foot. Yep. So character. That's character. And, wow. boy, sometimes it's hard to suck it up, but uh, you just have to. That's gold. Oh, I don't. But, boy, I'll tell you, you know, I, a lot of times I've seen that where, in fact, I had a good friend of mine. <laughs> I'm a real nice guy, but for some reason, they were excavating earth behind his property quite a ways, about a block away, and he didn't like it. Mm. So he raised all kinds of cane with them. And later on, he came back to ask them to bring him some dirt over to his house. And they say, aren't you the guy that complained about that? <laughs> not only no, but hell no, we're not bringing you any dirt. So sometimes you're better off keeping your mouth shut boils down to but you have to be astute enough to know when to when to speak up and when to be quiet mm -hmm. that's good what is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most ah <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good question i i've i've received so much you know wisdom and advice from you over the years i could see how this one could uh, uh there's a lot of it right but uh there's probably some yeah i tell i tell people uh uh, it's it's religious. Yeah, that's okay. I tell people if you read the Bible, it says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be given to you." So if you have a rapport with Christ, and I don't think they realize it, but He's involved in your life twenty four seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I'll tell you an interesting thing. You see this right here? Mm -hmm. I wear it. It's a rubber band. No, no, it's uh for hair. Oh, 
Okay. okay. Like a ponytail. Well, it, it illustrates the colors of the Blessed Virgin Mary, number one. Okay. And then I wear it to remind me of Christ's 24-7. Okay. Okay, so if you just leave it on one finger, it doesn't work. So every day I switch uh, fingers, so it irritates me a little bit, so I'm cognizant mm -hmm. of that. And then when you're talking to people, you're cognizant of that. You're real cognizant of what you're what you're talking. And uh, in the mornings when I do my morning prayers, among other things, I I pray for the good Lord to protect me from myself, mm. number one. And number two, to fill my cup with love so that I can distribute it through the day to the people that I come in contact with because uh, I think it's important in the love thy neighbor. Occasionally, my cup runs out about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in which case I get up and go home. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do is because I'm probably going to do something not too mm -hmm. smart. So then you go to bed, and then in the morning you wake up, your cup's full again. Wow. So then you can go out and distribute it to, to the people. So, And a lot of times, especially when they're in stress, people, if they are con confrontational to you, mm. if you react with confrontation, you're going to have a war. Mm -hmm. So if you can just keep in mind that how you react is your decision, mm. no one else's, then you can be calm and let them uh, get off their chest, whatever might be burdening them. Mm -hmm. But the reason my desk is so wide is because when I help people, they want to crawl over that desk and give me a hug, and I'm not a hugger. <laughs> and I've had actually grown men that uh, come with a, a financial distress and and can see how to get in there and straighten it out. Mm. And uh, they they cry. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. And this is a no-tear zone. Mm. So I try to comfort them not to cry but they sometimes they can't help it i i'll give you an illustration a fellow had a loan on a piece of commercial property and he had paid on it for five years and the understanding with the financial institution that they would do a five-year renewal mm. well in the meantime the bank went broke and another bank bought that financial institution and they would not recognize the renewal at the end of the five years, and he wasn't in a position to get anything taken care of. Mm -hmm. So to make a long story short, we made arrangements for him to get financing to pay off that financial institution and give him enough time breather so that he could refinance on a longer-term basis to get his, his thing. And he literally cried. He was so damn relieved because of the stress. So financial problems can cause a tremendous amount of stress. and. Uh, Usually when people, her and her husband got divorced several years ago, and uh, she needed the home, but he needed to have her name, his name off of the property because he had found a significant other and had another, uh, had another child with mm. So I racked my brain and make a long story short, I financed the home so that she could stay in the home and he got released from the liability so he could go out about his business but uh she which reminds me she happens to be spanish speaking and uh i have secretaries that can interpret for me mm -hmm. and i like helping them especially because uh when my grandparents came from italy 
interesting enough, two Elko. My grandfather came and then my grandmother came later. They were corresponding. And uh, as uh, immigrants, they ran into a substantial amount of uh, prejudice mm. and uh, couldn't speak the language. In fact, my grandmother tried to learn English and somebody teased her about it because she, and she refused to learn English as a result of that. So, which was too bad because I didn't get to communicate with her very much because I didn't speak Italian. But my dad spoke fluent Italian. <clears throat> and uh, when I was working in the assessor's office, I happened to look up uh, their note needed. Well, in those days, it was a mortgage and note mortgage not a deed of trust. And uh, they had borrowed $900 to, to buy their home and uh, took them 20 years to pay that dude off. Wow. But during the depression, they had money invested in a bank here that went broke like all the rest of them. And they lost all their, their savings, which uh, was rough. Mm -hmm. But anyway, as a result of that, I feel like I can help the Spanish people. Number one, especially the illegals, Mm -hmm. They, uh, it's okay for them to own real estate, but they can't go get borrow money from financial institutions because they're illegal. Mm. And the thinking from the financial point of view is that uh, if they get deported, they're going to get the property back. And they got, I tell people the same thing. I, I want to loan it out my money out for a little bit of interest. I'm not interested in the real estate. If I was interested in real estate, I'd be going out and buying it. Mm -hmm. Buying it. I don't want it to get it because. Uh, and usually we do workouts till hell won't have it before we take the property back, if we can. But there's mm -hmm. some guys that just flat can't deal with yeah. it. Anyway, uh, the Spanish-speaking peoples, they go over to a financial institution, and the first thing they do is slam down a bunch of papers that thick that they can't even read it, let yeah. alone fill the dumb thing out, if they could get the money. Mm -hmm. And what interesting story when we were selling real estate uh they used to come in and they'd say to my interpreter they wanted to buy a house how much how much for that house and we tell them how much it was and like you know forty nine thousand. it wasn't nothing expensive but they, would you like us to help you with getting financing if they were legal we'd help you get financing. oh no 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 we pay cash so i'm going what the hell are they doing that so I racked my brain. It took me a long time to figure it out. But what they do is they get two or three families to buy mm -hmm. a $6,000 mobile home, pay it off, and then they're just paying $400 a month rent or three fifty, whatever mm -hmm. it was at the time. And then they're saving their money so they can go out and buy real estate. And if it, the last guy, when he gets out of there, he just sells the mobile home to the next crew and goes about their business. And uh, one of the things I keep in mind, you can be surprised about this. <laughs> I support a group in Haiti hmm. uh, through another fellow. He's from uh, New York area. Their average income is 70 cents a day. Hmm. Their rent's $2 a month. And uh, they have a tough time making it at that. They have no electricity, nothing. Hmm. And I, I would like to have a program set up for Youth could go over there for about six weeks and find out what the side of the house is like that. But anyway, when these refugees come, they have such a tough time that uh, that I like I like helping those. Then the other thing is this. 
interestingly enough, there are other Spanish who are predators that mm. take advantage of them because they can't go get that financing. And I had a situation where a guy paid eight points and about 15% interest mm. on a real small mobile home loan at jerked my chain so we paid the guy off and uh did a regular deal for him and taught him not to ever do that again but mm. and it's mind-boggling to me that uh, another spanish-speaking guy would do that to the spanish but i guess there's in every system yep some will take advantage and some of them won't but christ was a refugee did you know that yeah it's interesting most people forget that uh-huh yeah. yeah, when he got when they sent to Egypt. Uh huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that was another story. Hell, he, he uh, was a car. Joseph was a carpenter, but I don't know if he could speak the tongue or not. Number one, number two, a lot of times they didn't have enough work, so they Christ experienced that poor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did. Anyway, I like next, it. Next, next. <laughs> did I answer your question? Yeah, this is amazing. Um, so. You had, uh, you, you were talking about, and this is just another point of appreciation that you've already talked about. So you talked about the poster board where you laid out all the debt. Yeah. And in 2007, it was late 2007, we had uh, a gold mine shut down. And I've shared this story before too. Um, we had a gold mine shut down. Remember Queen Stake, they owed us almost $400,000. And then the financial crisis is beginning to happen. And we had, as Barry would say, our Cabarnas in a ringer. Um, and you, you actually, did you need to say that? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so I had, uh, Nick who was our controller at that point in time, you know, I had reached out to you and said, Hey, here's our problem. Here's our, here's our trouble. And you said, listen, I'm going to come over Tuesday. I don't know what day it was, but I'm going to come over Tuesday. Um, we'll get out a poster board, which we, you know, is whiteboards now. And you said, I want you to get all your debt out. I want to get everybody, you know, everybody you owe all your expenses. And you spent, I think, four or six hours in a, in a conference room with us on a whiteboard. Pen, do you remember this? I remember doing it, but I don't yeah. remember how much time it took. Yeah, it was a long time. And you sat in there and took us through that process. So I just, again, another point of appreciation in the conversation about, you know, and even for the listeners, if you have yourself in trouble, um, these are not just stories. Like you, you literally could go through that process and you helped us do that. So, Yeah, there are all kinds of people can do that for you. But the biggest problem is to locate somebody that can... Mm -hmm that can help you with that thing. Yeah, a lot of times I, I see what they get in trouble with is uh, they're trying to pay long-term financing off in a short-term period so that they get uh, cash flow problems. In fact, my brother calls me cash flow. My middle name is cash flow. He calls me. I like it. <laughs> and checker. He's always got to check everything. Nice. Uh, Barry cash flow Lipperelli. Barry cash flow checker. Oh, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I've had, I have employees that I rely on a lot and the people that you surround yourself is very important mm. also because, uh, they can help, they can help and support you because you get not, we're not huge, but we got big enough where you can't, con you can't handle everything. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we gave away the property management couldn't handle mm -hmm. too much volume of stuff to do. And we did a lot of times before they got gung-ho computerized. I've been through the, no computers to computers. And uh, those, those um, I have key employees, and I uh, try to pay them above uh, normal wages. And the reason I do is because I 
I feel if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys for employees. Mm -hmm. That boils down to, and I've seen operations like that. And then probably maybe they can justify it because savings. I don't know, but we found that it costs money to retrain them, and you're better off to treat them right so that they don't go. And I have people that have been with me, uh, you know, 25 years and 18 years, mm -hmm. and 20 years and 15 years. And, uh, and, uh, we feel that's real important mm -hmm. to them. And then we started uh, real early. We started a profit sharing plan so that we contribute. Believe it or not, 15% of their salaries goes into that pot. And then I manage that. Mm. And, uh, for them, and and uh, of course, it's, I I participate too, so I benefit just not just solely just mm -hmm. because of them. But a lot of times, uh, they get in a financial problem, bad. We've had circumstances where we had to fire them to uh, withdraw the funds and then rehire them a few months later down the road. Mm. Interesting. In I like for it for them to uh, to get over some financial hump. And then you get in circumstances like in my lending, uh, you can't underwrite certain things. Like you can't underwrite a guy getting fired or a guy mm -hmm. dying or uh, coronavirus. There's another one. Uh, you can't you can't underwrite uh, disabilities and mm. uh, divorce. I mean, it's on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So you can't underwrite that. And I always wondered that about financial institutions, especially when I was in the real estate business on a home. They want you to have your debt ratios correct. And, uh, once in a while we'd have a character that would in the middle of a real estate deal, go out and buy a pickup truck and it screws debt ratio up and blow the deal, you know, mm -hmm. but I also had this, which was interesting. If the deal got blown for some reason, the next day they go down and buy a truck. Mm. I don't know if it's psychological or what, or a car. And, uh, but anyway, the day after this closed and the guy's debt ratio is good, everything's good. He could go down and buy 10 Cadillacs the next day and they can't do a damn thing about mm -hmm. it. So I don't know what this big emphasis on that is yeah and a lot of times in our loaning process instead of getting involved in that stuff we analyze the collateral so uh -huh. that there's enough equity position so that if you get in a position where you have to take it back so i do more of that than i do fico scores and credit balances and yeah and that's another big c that you had um so character credit capabilities and collateral that's another yeah, c yeah. that you talked to me about a lot um making sure that you're collateralized properly that's kind of interesting. Um, you told me at one point in time, any, anything else on that? No. Okay. We, we started uh, our first business Plumline in 2004. Um, and I met you right around the same time. Well, I didn't meet you then, but that's when we really started talking business and you became a mentor of mine. Um, you told me something early and I don't know if you remember this, but um, you said to me, if you take care of the business, the business will take care of you. That's correct. What did, talk to me about that a little bit. It seems super well, simple, but it's, it's. Well, I see. I've seen uh, people go in business, and then all of a sudden they got tremendous cash flows coming in. So now they think they're king of the mountain, and they're going to go out and start buying things and getting indebtedness, and uh, not realizing that there's going to be uh, ramifications. Mm. And uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine. Uh, was an electrician and he bought the electrical business. It was elect mm -hmm. electrician business. Mm -hmm. And he was real experienced and knowledgeable. And I tell people, you got to have two things if you're going to be in business. You got to have some product knowledge, extremely important. And you got to have some business knowledge. 
Now, I could go run an electrical outfit in two seconds flat, but I can't wire a house. Mm. So I'm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where I see a lot of guys make a mistake is they're working as a cabinet maker or electrician or plumber, and they mm-hmm. decide that they're going to go out and start their own business, even though they have the expertise of the product, mm-hmm. they don't have the business expertise. Mm-hmm. This fellow was an example of that. He had a tremendous knowledge. He's successful now. He came to me shortly after he bought the business and uh, he had an opportunity to get a half a million dollar contract. And I said to him, you're going to be surprised at my reaction. He says, what? I says, don't take that contract. Mm. And he goes, why? And I says, well, here's why. And so I showed him that you have to pay your electricians. Mm -hmm. You have to buy all the supplies and everything like that. And that outfit that he had the probable contract with Mm -hmm. was a mining operation. And sometimes they take as long as 90 days to pay off their Mm -hmm. indebtedness. They're good for it and they're no problem. But you got to have the cash flow in order to pay all those guys, run your business and still have the billing out as an accounts receivable. Mm-hmm. And that accounts receivable will eat you up so damn fast and make your head swim. And people don't realize that's the same as cash. Yeah. You have to convert cash into that accounts receivable to carry it. So if you're carrying the product, you still got bills to pay over mm-hmm. here. If without that cash, you can't pay it. So he, he ended up not taking that contract and he has subsequently come and thanked me a million times mm-hmm. for that. He's in a position now. So if they brought in a half a million contract, he, he can do it. But you have to you have to do the walk, the crawl, mm-hmm. the walk, yeah. the baby steps, and then I think I told you one time before, but I call it the tube. Yeah, you got to stuff into the tube yeah. before something comes out here, and it might be a three or four month span. So when you're starting a new business, you have to survive that period of time. And most most operations are not profitable the first year, mm-hmm. and most people don't realize that. They just think, hey, I'm gonna throw my sign out here and sell hamburgers and everybody and your dog going to be coming in, but that's not the way it works. Yeah. And so that's that business expertise that you got to have. And then there's a quite a bit of knowledge involved. Like, uh, when you have a business, you got to be a jack of all trades and a master of none, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> you gotta, you gotta know accounts receivable, accounts payable, you got taxes. Mm-hmm. All kinds of tax ramifications. Yep. You got filings mm-hmm. up the kazoo, and you got to do them on a timely basis. And uh, they educate you on those by penalizing 18 years of growth value when you can't afford it. Yeah. Right when you can't afford it. Yeah. In fact, uh, back to that laundromat, when I bought that laundromat, uh, we used everything we had to get the money for the down payment to get it and get it organized and get going. And right out of the chute, I got a call from the Southwest Gas Company. They wanted a $4,000 deposit. Well, hell, we never dreamt you had that. Why would you have to have a deposit? <laughs> we pay our bills, yeah. you know. They wanted a deposit. But we didn't have $4,000. Yeah. Scared, to, scared us. But anyway, we ended up getting a bond. It's like borrowing somebody else's financial statement in order to get the, the bond on it. And uh, then we started doing corrections. Just off the subject a little bit, but. We started cutting down on the gas usage by, well, for example, dryers have an igniter. Mm. It used to be run 24-7, and it sounds like nothing, but remember that quarter deal I was telling you about? It was costing us 30 cents a day per machine 
because they were running perpetual. And I found out you could get an attachment to that thing so that, that the flame didn't go on until you put your quarter in. Wow. And it didn't say, it didn't sound like a lot, but it saved us like four or $500 a month. Yeah. And we went through each item like that until we got it cut to the point where the gas company guys came over to make sure our meter was working right. We cut our costs almost in half just on, just on, wow. well, they had a furnace that was on top of the roof. So it was pulling in 10 below zero weather oh, during yeah. the winter time and heating it to 70 degrees to get it down there. We thought, hell, that's nuts. So we got rid of that, put a couple of, ra uh, ra resinors, what do they call it? Yeah. Resiners. Resiners. Yeah. Put a couple of resonors in there so that they were sucking in 65 degree mm -hmm. temperature to get it out at 70 degrees. Anyway, we cut that gas bill so my guy. Smart. Uh, that's another thing. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the porch, you can't see the trees. Yep. Like on financial statements, I've had guys bring them over, and you can look. You can look, and since you're not involved in it, you can spot stuff that they could take advantage of to decrease those costs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when guys were doing acquisitions. They get the financial statement. They look and see if there's something that if, if they bought it, they can mm -hmm. cut that out so that they can increase that net. Remember, I taught you they, they uh, you have you have income. The only way, the only thing, two things you can do, one of two things or both, is yeah. to raise your income mm -hmm. or decrease your expense factor to increase that net, which is that thing that converts into value. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were trying to apply over that thing. It took me a year, but I got it turned around. It ended up being. I like it. Th th that's why it's so valuable again back to the story of you coming and sitting down with us for a few hours or even to just have a mentor because when you say like you can't see the forest through the trees I don't, i'm not exactly sure how you said it but sometimes we're so caught up in our own problem and we've created such a problem and it, we've been dealing with it for so long um and again just a moment of appreciation but i'm sure you can wrap on this for a minute um i appreciate you because you've helped me get through so many of these times um, and it's for that reason. Like when we have a problem in our life, we need to be able to reach out to somebody. And so what would you say? It's hard to be open and honest. And that's another thing that I appreciate about you. You're always open. You're, you've, you've been very transparent. You've, got, you've dealt with a lot of problems. Like you've experienced a lot. You call them the gray whiskers, right? You didn't get all those by um, just having everything go perfect. Yeah. And I have to emphasize this too. A lot of people helped me. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't discover all this stuff and do it by myself. I mean, yeah. people help me too. Yeah. So it's that mentoring thing. And I would just encourage any of the listeners to, um, the more challenging times are, the more you need to find a Barry Lipparelli in your life and they're everywhere, right? Oh um, yeah. There's a lot of people who got to, yeah, they've aged and they've been through experiences mm -hmm. and knowledgeable. But yeah. if you're not completely honest and transparent, you know, I think as a society, and you could correct me on this because you've seen a lot more generations than I have, Ooh, was that a, no. that's all right. <laughs> that's true. Um, you've seen a lot more than I have. So I have, I have more yesterdays than I have tomorrows. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, but I think a lot of times I feel like, especially nowadays, people don't want to be op completely open and transparent. And in order to really, truly get help, you need to just lay it all out on the table. And I've appreciated you for that because I've never felt judged by you. No, I, I don't. I don't like to judge because I don't want to get judged either. You know, in fact, a friend of mine was talking to me one day. He says, I, I can't wait till those people get their justice and Christ is going to raise hell with them because they're doing something wrong, you know? And I said, man, I'm not that way. What do you mean? I don't want justice. I want mercy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it too. Yeah. In fact, I've taught a lot of guys on their deathbeds. Yeah. If you have anything to say to Christ, you say mercy. Mm. That's all you got to say. That's good. 
Yeah, but you know, so many of the they're well, they are they, back to your question. They are, uh, and I don't know what what the cause of that is. If it's a self protection thing, mm. or if it's a cultural learned situation, or what, but. I tell them the truth. Of course, any information that they give me is confidential when they come in here, and they know that. So they're more uh, susceptible to give you the information. I noticed, like on trips, though, I was off of a sideline a little bit, people will tell you stuff they wouldn't even tell their priest mm. because they don't think they're going to ever see you again, I guess. <laughs> and my daughter it ended up becoming medical, which I don't know where she got that, but she she uh, specializes in women's health. Mm. and. Uh, she says that they tell their medical people stuff that they wouldn't even tell a priest or a preacher because I don't know why they, if they know that's a, that confidentiality or what the heck it is. But I, I, I'm, uh, I go to a big city and I tell people good morning. They look at me like I'm going to pull out a 45 and <laughs> rob them or something, you know? Yeah. Which reminds me, today's, I graduated from high school on this day. Wow. Today. Like 10 years ago? Yeah, last week. <laughs> as fast as time goes, it was last week. <laughs> anyway, the reason that the reason I reminded me of something was I was making an application for a loan on a on an eightplex. It was two fourplexes, and uh, and they put me through the ringer. Oh, more, 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 more. Finally, one day, honest to God, the gal asked me, "What day did you graduate from high school?" So I told her, and then I said, "And what has that got to do with this loan?" And she says, Homeland Security. Mm. I still haven't got that. So now I got a line of credit. Whenever I call over, they want to identify me. I said, well, aren't you going to ask me my date of, the date I graduated from high school? <laughs> and they all look at me like they're nuts. I never heard of that before, you know. In fact, on that same loan, one day I called that underwriter up because it took so damn long and frustration. I said, you know, tell, tell that underwriter. This isn't an armed robbery. I just want to borrow a few bucks, and I have every intention of paying it back. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, I got to tell you, know, on that FHA with those up there, when I bought those traders, uh -huh. you're going to love this. I got a call from the finance institution from somebody in there, and he said, you're in violation of the law. Said, what do you mean? He says, you got nine FHA loans on, on mobile homes. You're only supposed to have one. I said, well, let me tell you a little secret. They had that on their... Uh, loan loss reserves, and they bank was just real tickled to sell those to me and get rid of them so that they could get it off their their books. And I said, "You check that out. Let me know." And I never have heard from him since. So that must have been okay. Yeah. Uh, you got to, rules and regulations. You got to put them in sand, not in concrete. That's that's a good one right there. Next, when we do our next podcast in a couple of years, I'm gonna. Hey, remember you told well, me. Well, financial institutions uh, they make a rule up mm -hmm. on the top. I, I've experienced that with the bank that was in Vegas, and they came up here, opened a branch. They're running it like they got a Vegas operation. There's two different economics, two different real estate programs. Makes a lot of sense. They make one rule, and nobody can has the authority to make any adjustments. Got to put your rules and regulations in sand, not concrete. Yeah, I like that. So shifting gears on you a little bit, um, we're, we're in June, 2020. Um, we try to stay evergreen on the podcast cause you don't know when somebody's going to be listening to it. So, you know, it could be five years from now. Um, but we've just experienced this COVID thing and, you know, financial turmoil, really the world's kind of in an uproar and, you know, being a spiritual guy, I'm, I'm sure, um, 
I, I think there's a lot more going on and just, you know, the, the world in general and, and God and spirituality, but coming through all this, what's your, what's your overarching perspective right now? Because we've had the coronavirus, you know, we've got protests, the world is in upheaval. Um, financially, it seems like we've kind of put a major bandaid on a huge um, bleeding wound, but what's your overall perspective on everything where we're at right now? Well, there's different uh, areas to concentrate. We've always, uh, Earth has always had turmoil. And uh, I refer to a scripture reading where the tree's planted next to the stream and its roots are fine. And even when it becomes a deserty, hot summer, the leaves are still green. And mm. so, and that's uh, that's. That's that reaction thing I was telling you. You have an individual decision to make on the reaction. Now, obviously, I I don't condone uh, those police officers, Mm -hmm. but but I don't judge it because you have to be there to know the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But from what's been revealed at this point, it was a big Mm no-no. And uh, you have tragedies that happen constantly, and that's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think it should be a learning lesson so that we can uh stop those kind of activities somehow and uh i don't care what color a person is they're human beings mm-hmm. some of those guys that are so prejudiced they're liable to get to heaven and find out god's black that'll make them <laughs> quiver a little totally. bit totally yeah. yeah but uh i i never could see prejudice i i for mm-hmm. some reason when we when i was a young boy here in school in Elko, uh, we didn't have prejudice. Mm. I didn't know what religion you were. I didn't know what ethnicity mm-hmm. or whatever they call it, ethnic mm-hmm. group you were with. And I, we had uh, black kids in our classes. And the only time they ended up being ostracized was if it was some activity that they were doing that was not acceptable versus what mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, if a guy was a jerk, he was a jerk, he was sure. out. So yeah. I, I wasn't raised with that. And uh, that new show that came out, The Green Book, I don't know if you've had an Mm -hmm. opportunity to see that, but it's a story about a a black pianist, real Mm -hmm. talented. He decides to take a trip in the South. Uh, You don't know prejudice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was before the 60s, before they got civil rights. And they had this book, it was called The Green Book, and it was, you'd open it up and like, if you went to Elko, Nevada, it would tell you where you could eat mm. as a black person and where you could sleep and stuff like that. I wasn't aware of that when I was a kid, except I worked in a service station and a black family came in and I took care of, you know, gassed him up and talked about it. And he says, he says, could you tell me where I can eat and where I can mm. sleep? And that kind of astounded me. Mm. And uh, for some reason, I said, just a second, I'm going to go ask my boss. I could sense something was cooking. I didn't know quite what it was, so I went in there. Lo and behold, in Elko, Nevada, there was a couple places they could eat and a couple places they could sleep. Hmm. And my boss told me what the names were, and so I referred him to that. But I was flabbergasted that that was even a question. Yeah, I, I just didn't mm-hmm. enter my mind. And later on, in later years, you'll get a kick out of this. When I, My dad and I bought a piece of property from a group called the African Methodist Episcopal Pentecostal Church, <laughs> which was a black group of church people. And uh, 
there was only one black family left that that uh, wanted to sell this property to us. <clears throat> so we couldn't get clear title to the property. Mm. They couldn't give it. So uh, we went to court, mm -hmm. and the court said, well, you have to write a letter to everybody that had any connection with that church. Mm. So I got the book from them. And I read it, and I wish to God I'd have made arrangements for that book to go to the Northeastern Nevada Historical Society, but it didn't. Mm. In that book, it said that Elko had an NAACP in the 1940s, which I didn't even know it existed at that particular time. Wow. In that book, they would say, and I'll tell you a good name, they would say Dave Dotta, who happened to be the mayor at that time, I knew him mm -hmm. later years, was real good to us and well, helped us. This, blah, 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 blah. But if there was a guy in there that mistreated him, they would put it in there. Wow. Joe Blow was, blah, 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 blah. He did this and he did this. Blah, 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 blah. Don't go buy his, his business and stuff like that, which floored me. Yeah. But anyway, make a long story short, we wrote letters to all those people. And of course, they all came back because mm -hmm. there was no addresses. They were gone, been yeah. gone. And so they gave us clear title of that product clear title of that property so that we could buy that from those people. And, uh, well, a real interesting experience, a little bit off the point. I'll tell you about those people. You crack up when I tell you this story. It was a black couple. The guy's name was Sid and the gal's name was Ethel. And her, their last name was Moore. Okay. Sid and Ethel Moore. Their house caught on fire one day, and uh, so they got the insurance money and had it rebuilt, and it, it cost more to rebuild it than the insurance company had, had paid them. So they came to my father, and uh, they said, uh, told him the story, and I don't know how he thought of this, but he was one of those characters. He found out that Sid was a veteran, mm. military veteran, and that the property was in the name of Ethel Moore, not Sid. So my dad made an offer and acceptance up, and it put purchaser Sid and Ethel Moore from Ethel Moore mm. so they could get refinancing under the GI loan. So they yep. submitted it. <laughs> they denied it. Oh, and that was in the 60s. Mm. In, and that's when they were having all the civil mm -hmm. rights crap. So Ethel got kind of upset. So she started writing letters. And she wrote to all the Nevada congressmen. She wrote to the president, the vice president, mm -hmm. wrote letters. One day my dad gets a phone call. Phone call, And it, this guy says, this is so-and-so. I don't remember the name. I'm the head of the Veterans Administration in Washington, D.C. And he said, who the hell is Ethel Moore? <laughs> so my dad explains, they put that loan together. Wow. They financed that house for them. That's so like, he could pay off his thing and get back to his. Because she had been so persistent. Persistent writing that letter. It's like right. that story about the widow and the judge in the Bible. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that. My dad fell <laughs> when they put that thing together. It was a wonderful story. But that's the same people that we ended up buying that. Uh, well, I got to tell you something else, too. They had a musical piano, you know, one of those drop the coin in mm -hmm. and plays music, but it was broken. 
So they sold they they wanted to get rid of it. They sold it to me, and it takes about three glee clubs and two military personnel to lift this sucker up because I had to move it once, and I got it in a bedroom in my house. It still doesn't work. It, but I've been thinking about getting that damn thing fixed and uh, give it to the Northeastern Nevada Historical Society in their behalf, which I think they get a big kick out of that. Although yeah. they're both deceased now. Oh, the reason that, what happened to that book is Sid had a daughter unbeknownst to me in uh, Texas mm. after they died she came up here to sell the house and get her stuff and she got that book and I can't remember her name or what part mm. of Texas she's in or I'd go after it just for the yeah the history Sid and Ethel Moore wasn't it yeah Sid and Ethel Moore never forget that anyway next <laughs> so what do you think from a financial perspective what's your I mean I know we could talk about this for well, days but you mean um, because of the coronavirus yeah just in and even not just the coronavirus but you know the amount of money being printed and um well jobs all of it well I think there's a well I was sad that we had to go through that thing mm-hmm. I think uh President Trump gets a lot of criticism and uh, I'm not for or against anybody but mm-hmm. uh I think he's handled that quite well although there are it had to go so fast that it created all kinds of problems for example i know deceased people that receive the stimulus package hmm. stimulus money they they need to send it back which is a hardship on them because once they got it they hate to send it back and then i see abuses in that pp i think and uh but I think overall, generally, that was a beneficial. I I think they should be a little bit more conservative because the amount of trillions of dollars the that the uh, government owes mm-hmm. going to bite us yeah. at some point. The problem with it is, without getting a big doctor degree in politics, they don't have the ability to. Uh, challenge that because they'll lose the elections mm-hmm. so uh, i one of the things i don't like about the congress is that a guy the day after he's elected he's got to still run for because he's got to be elected again in two years it makes him susceptible to lobbyists and to making mm-hmm. uh, decisions to their benefit in order to become reelected. i don't like that mm-hmm. i think there should be a change i've got a suggestion if anybody ever wants to hear it but of how they could change that that would make those guys less reliable on that uh, anyway, that's another story. So I think that's a real possibility that inflation is going to bite us in the keister in, down the down mm-hmm. the road a little bit. Uh, the hardships that the coronavirus is real, and uh, I don't think they had much choice. To stop that, what I'm concerned about now is the possibility of it spiking before they can get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then I'm nervous about, in the event that they do get a vaccine, it has to be tested enough to make sure that it's not going to cause mm-hmm. more problems than it's solving. And uh, it caused a pent-up of people shelter in shelters. Mm-hmm. And older people, was no big deal. They were sheltering just because they're older. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem is that, that pent-up energy, I think, is is uh, was looking for an excuse uh, in order to do the writing. Mm-hmm. I disagree with the writing. I think you can you can uh, assemble and protest mm-hmm. 
legitimately, but yeah, going in and robbing people. In fact, a lot of times I can't figure it out because they'll go into their ethnicity group and mm-hmm. rob their own people. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they set it on fire and burns down. Now they can't buy their groceries locally. They got to go seventeen blocks down the road to get to some other grocery store. That makes sense to mm-hmm. me why they would do that and why punish the people. Why punish anybody else that has nothing to do with the yeah. the problem? Yeah, and uh, so there, there it's created some. By the same token, it's created some opportunities. Mm-hmm. I watch that. I'm not into the stock market, but I watch that market take a nosedive. Hell, if a guy would have bought stock at that time, if that's your expertise, wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you could you could make a fortune in that thing. And people have knee jerk reactions. And it reverts back to what I was telling you before. If you're retired and that is your whole talk Mm -hmm. and it's jeopardized, you're scared, so you sell out to wait until the damn thing comes back and buy back in. But in the meantime, you might lose Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of money. Even those guys that they held their money during the Depression, after the Depression, although good luck, how could you hang on to it if you were starving? The uh, unemployment rates that they're experiencing that they had during the Depression, but during the Depression, they didn't have Social Security, Mm. and they didn't have uh, unemployment checks, and they didn't have uh, stimulus checks and that stuff. And uh, one of the reasons uh, FDR (coughs) created a lot of those, like that WPA and the CCCs and that kind of stuff, was to get the people reemployed. And instead of doing that, that they did it by stimulus, which is was good. Do you think you had told me early on, and you've kind of alluded to this through the interview, but you had shared certain types of businesses that you, I don't know if you remember telling me this, but insurance, real estate, low overhead type businesses. So I guess a twofold question. Do you think it's a good time to start a business um, or to get into real estate? And if so, what types? Well, I, I like real estate. I I still think there's opportunities. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I I uh, help guys that are doing flippers, and uh, they lose a deal, and they look like they lost their dog. I mean, just relax, mm-hmm. keep looking. There's always some opportunities because uh, there's a certain character of people that they won't take care of their property. In fact, I can tell you an illustration of that. They sold sold the property to them, but they were so used to being in apartments. Well, something went wrong. They wanted the guy to come back and fix it, fix it, fix it. Finally, he got tired of it. Told mm. him, no, you bought this. This is your property. They lived in the house until it got unbearable, and then they gave it back to him and left. Mm. So you got those opportunities. There's people that won't take care of their stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's the way they live mm. or if they don't have the ability or the knowledge to keep it nicely. You get penalized when you get in those situations. So there's opportunities there. Uh, I, I think because it expanded into the e-commerce that there's tremendous potential in commercial real estate. Mm. And a lot of the little guys that aren't in a position to put those big deals together, they can get invested in a real estate investment trusts, mm-hmm. And uh, they have every kind of, real estate that you can imagine that you can get into that thing. And uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you should get an advisory service of some kind that tells uh, 
you know, they research it and do an analysis on it. It costs you a fee, but it's usually pretty nominal mm -hmm. so that you're investing in the right ones. But even then, there's no guarantee. Yeah. Uh, but there's companies like uh, Realty Income, the O, symbol mm -hmm. O. They've consistently paid a dividend for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And so there's several of those companies. Uh, you you could get in the wrong REIT. For example, if you'd have got into cruise ships or you, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a REIT for that, but cruise ships is an example. Uh, man, that that's a real mm -hmm. poor time. Even now, you're dirt cheap, but I would be real re reluctant because I think it's going to be a psychological thing for mm -hmm. people to want to get back into that. Yeah. Yeah. I We used to love cruising, but I can't imagine getting on a cruise boat you know, it's scary. Yeah, it's I don't want to be trapped at sea for 25, 30, 40, 50 no, days. Yeah. No. And the airlines, for example, mm -hmm. I think they'll come back eventually because it's just the best mode of transportation. But the biggest problem is those guys in business like that, they have to survive. Why? That's yeah. that survival yep. mode. So that's why I emphasize the strength of your financial statements and mm -hmm. you're being a little bit conservative in your operations so that you can. Well, I tell people, so you can survive your mistakes. That's mm -hmm. what it about boils down to. Do you think that, so you had told the story earlier about the electrician who was a good technician, but didn't necessarily, um, back to the um, capabilities part of the three C's, he wasn't necessarily business. experienced in running business, which is the only way to get experience in running business is to get the whiskers, right? But do you think it's a, possibly, is there a good, is it a good time to potentially buy existing businesses? I know we go through cycles where, there's a lot of times where I've thought to myself, well, I could start a business faster, cheaper, easier um, than going and buying an existing client list. But then there's times like this that make me think that potentially there might be tired operators or they're strapped on cash or, you know, maybe they're just, maybe they're just done. Um, do you think it's a good time to maybe buy businesses? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I have. Actually, it is. It is. Any time's a good time, really. Because you could take advantage of some of those opportunities. Uh, or I tell people this, it's interesting. They look at me like I'm crazy, but the construction costs are so high because of the labor costs mm -hmm. that it's sometimes a hell of a lot easier to go get the financial statements for the last two or three years on a specific piece of property and do an analysis on it from the net perspective to the mm -hmm. value mm -hmm. and to buy that way cheaper than what you could construct it. Construct it. So you have to look at both sides, which is going to be the best mm -hmm. rate of return on your money for what's, what you're getting. But you could, I, I watched in the Boise area because my daughter lives up there. Uh, during the financial crisis, uh, everything went to hell in a handbasket. Hmm. And they were buying uh, duplexes up there for $100,000, you know. Wow. Duplex. Yeah. Which is incredible to me because you can't even buy a lot for 100000 up there now. Yeah. But those same, those same $100,000 properties are probably worth... Two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars right today. Mm -hmm. So, but for a guy to buy at that particular time, mm -hmm. he has to have the knowledge, knowing that that's cheapest thing to get. But then you have to also be in a cash flow position so that you can make the payments if you can't do the rents. Mm -hmm. But we got scared one time in Elko because a fellow that was in business came to us and he said, "Hell, in the eighty early 80s. He says, man, these mines are nuts. They closed down. Everybody's unemployed. Hell, I can't stand it. He said, I'm going to sell everything out, which he ended up doing, which was a mistake, but he did. And But boy, that made me think, 
And I had to sit in a chair for almost two days. Mm. Not just sit in the chair, but I'm thinking for about yeah. two. And I came to the conclusion that I can't remember now, but say the rents were $600 a month. I said, oh, if we have to reduce it to $300 a month, we can still make our nut, so mm-hmm. we're okay. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ride this horse until we get bucked off. But, <laughs> and as it was, it ended up being the right right decision. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some thinking process in what you're doing. And uh, you're going to fall over when I tell you this. I went almost 30 years without a vacancy factor rather than ins and outs, Yeah, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. But I had a mine operation come to us in that early 80s, and they wanted us to build some apartment complexes so i was i was interested so i sit down with him and i said well after we got all done talking i said well how long would you lease those operations from us you know those apartments from us and they said well 18 months <laughs> well you got to be kidding me i'm gonna go get 30-year financing you want me to do it 18 months i said no nah, we're not interested in that it's not a win-win well on the way back backwards looking that's real easy that mm-hmm. hindsight we probably should have done it anyway because I didn't know it was cooking, but we were a little bit concerned because the mines are so tight-mouthed. You don't know what they're going to do from mm-hmm. day one to day two. You know, mm-hmm. tomorrow they might lay off 350 guys. They don't say a word. Yep. Or they might be hiring 350 guys. And so it's kind of hard for an outside business guy that doesn't yeah. have inside information. So what triggered us to get a little bit aggressive on investment was when they built that $1.5 processing plant. Mm-hmm. We thought. Anybody that's got that kind of money, they're not going to put that in there for six weeks. Mm -hmm. They're going to be a long-term smoker so they can amortize the cost of that. Then we started getting aggressive. That makes sense. So we got, we got, and then I would advise, like when you're doing your mobile home park, Mm -hmm. and we were lucky in Elko because when they had that financial distress, property values went to hell in Vegas. Salt Lake City, Reno, Boise, all around us. Mm-hmm. But Elko didn't get hit with that. What yeah. happens in Elko is they're watching that national news is why I take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. They got real negative because the national news was negative. Yeah. So you got you to gotta separate yourself from national news. It's not, mm-hmm. it's what's happening in your local economy. Yeah. And I can illustrate that for you too. But anyway, uh, the people got negative, so they quit spending their money in Elko, even though they were working. After mm-hmm. a couple of months, they realized they're doing fine. So then they started firing back up, and everything was going going real well. But I even went through that 1973 when they had the oil embargoes. The people wouldn't come from Salt Lake City to Elko. They had gas to get her, but they were afraid they couldn't get the gas to get back to Salt Lake City, which was the gaming. Those days, it wasn't mining. It was mostly gaming uh, and ranching operations. Mm-hmm. And I saw the casinos in this area lay off 15% of their employees, which just staggered me. Mm. That was, you don't know impact. Yeah. Well, you didn't see that happening during the recession because uh, the locals were, were working. In yeah. fact, we were lucky during this coronavirus thing, the mines didn't shut down because they were essential and they're mm-hmm. remote. Yeah. And Elko wasn't too impacted by that shutdown, although I saw a tremendous amount of people in the casinos and bars and stuff like that that went out. The Nevada system was used to processing about 2,400 applications a week, Mm. and all of a sudden they got hit with $370,000 applications. Their systems collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I know people that never did get unemployment. In fact, one of the, I just talked to a gal yesterday, she was a waitress, her boss happened to get that pp thing so he put him on back on payroll otherwise she'd have been up a crick and so there's been some hardships yeah come out of that thing and then 
a lot of people say, well, you're going to lose a few people in the coronavirus. Well, that, that's real easy to say unless you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And in the, my, my daughter being in the medical profession, mm. several nurses from her area have gone to uh, New York to help those guys out. And they were working on some tough duties in Boise with, you know, people on terminal cancer and mm-hmm. car wrecks and heart attacks and all kinds of medical problems. And they said that was pure hell. That's mm. how they described it. Those were wow. hell. It's, it was, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So it's a real thing. And I think they made the right decision to distance people and get that hopefully kibosh. What I'm worried about, I think I mentioned is if they don't get a vaccine and that thing spikes again, they have to shut this thing down. It might be irreparable and a lot of businesses mm-hmm. will be able to snap out of it. So yeah. I would take a, a somewhat conservative extent, uh, uh, stance but everybody if everybody in the United States got negative it it collapsed itself so you gotta you guys disassociate from that and look at your own environment well, and I, I, I was gonna illustrate that for you like if you had a house here it's worth uh, 250000 in Elko if you had that same house in Wells it's worth 150000 mm-hmm. so each individual community has their own real estate market so you can't just say well I'm gonna take the same stuff I got in Elko and go to Boise. Right. You better go up there and analyze Boise before you start investing in there to see what's cooking. And I see, I see some of those guys making that mistake. They come out of the California area and they're paying too much money for mm-hmm. for for investments because they uh, don't know what they're doing and yep. they got the cash because they're selling a house down there for a million. Come up here and buy a house for two hundred fifty thousand. They got seven hundred fifty thousand to mess around with. Mm-hmm. Be real careful, especially yeah. if you don't have any whiskers. You got to have some experience, some yeah. knowledge in that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's probably a good segue into this question. So you've seen a lot of change over the years. Um, what advice do you have for business owners and real estate investors during? You said this before. These are unprecedented times, right? So you know, we're just talking about being conservative. Um, maybe that's some of it. But what what advice do you have just in general for business owners, real estate investors? Could well, be high level. Assuming you got your financial situation stabilized, you're in pretty good shape. I, I would, I would see all. I see all kinds of opportunity. Opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Opportunity. What? Uh, in fact, I don't take advantage of them because of my age. Mm. But I don't mind. I, I have done this. I'll find a hell of a deal. I'll call somebody. Investors. Oh, look at this. This thing looks like it's pretty good. Could be high level. Assu- assuming you got your financial. What? What haven't we talked Situation about that you want to stabilized, cover? You're pretty good, good shape. I, I, would, uh, I don't know. I would yeah. see all, I see all kinds what, of What uh, kind of wrap oh, this absolutely. up? So what What one or two things are you most proud what, of? Uh, in fact, I don't take advantage of uh, it's not. It's not any possessions. Yeah. It's uh, relationships with other people, friendships. And in fact, I read an article several years ago where the good Lord says, Enjoy those people around you because you don't know how long they're going to be with you. And I'm experiencing that because of my age, and that kills you. But I'm glad I had those relationships. You know? mm-hmm. um, I love that and just want to say that I appreciate you. Um, well, I appreciate you too. You got, you, you've made me more than I am. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. Um, you know, and again, somebody asked me the other day because I talk about you a lot. Um, but somebody asked me the other day, you know, this mentor you're always talking about, is he a paid mentor? And I'm like, no, you've never asked me for anything. In fact, you've done nothing but help me. Well, uh, 
I realized at a relatively young age that uh, I was given that talent, and uh, I'm trying to live that love thy neighbor yeah. thing. And I'm glad to help people. Mm-hmm. It helps everybody when you help. When you help somebody else, it helps you, actually. And that's like I told you, if you go to a community without any real estate people, they won't thrive. Mm-hmm. You've got to have those uh, those people. Mm-hmm. Investors, business people, and stuff like that. In fact, they, a lot of times, I've had a tough time dealing with, uh, I've talked to several priests about it, uh, being invested in the in the world where you are serving mankind and the good Lord. Uh, but by the same token, I can find you scripture that says, if you don't work, you just shouldn't eat. Mm. So you have to work, and he gives you those talents for it. But I think capitalism is a great thing, but it has to be monitored. Mm. And the reason it does is because it can get into greed mm-hmm. and selfishness and subsequently abuse of others. And uh, probably why they have so many rules and regulations, but usually 1% of the people are what's creating those problems that creates the law that goes on top of everybody. Mm. And if you're uh, not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't care. For example, one time they decided they wanted to raise the tax on licenses so they could hire more highway patrolmen, and everybody was having a fit. I says, I don't care if they got 50 patrolmen or 10,000 of them. If you're not doing anything wrong, what do you care? Mm-hmm. So I And I, I, I support those police officers, and uh, thank God they're there. To Otherwise, we'd have anarchy. Mm-hmm. We really would, because mm-hmm. there's always the few that will get into the greed mode and the mm-hmm. abuse and and uh, ruin it. Mm-hmm. That's such a great, great way to end. Right before I share one last thought, you keep talking about, um, and this is, you know, a scripture, but um, love the Lord your God and love thy neighbor as yourself. Thank God they're there to, otherwise we'd have anarchy. Mm-hmm. We really would, because mm-hmm. there's always the few that will get into the greed mode and the abuse mm-hmm. and, and uh, ruin it. Mm-hmm. That's such a great, Great way to end. Right before I share one last thought, you keep talking about, um, and this is you know a scripture, but um, love the Lord your God and love thy neighbor as yourself. And I've thought about this for years, and you you exemplify this. There's one more part of that that I think was actually um, in the New Testament that Jesus talked about, um, and I think it was in the Old too. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. At- Most people, I tell them this. Gentleness and kindness are esteemed in heaven. Mm. Okay. So it's important that we give that gentleness and, and the kindness to others because they have burdens. Mm. I don't care who you're talking to. They got a burden. Now, they might not share it with you, mm-hmm. but they got one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because uh, we go through these different trials and uh, tests to enhance our endurance, mm. which enhances our spirituality. And your goal to reach the level of holiness that Christ calls you to. Okay. Now, that's real easy to say, mm-hmm. but pretty tough to live. Yeah. Very difficult. And uh, most people are looking for peace, but they don't see it in Christ. In fact, they look at you like you're nuts if you tell them that. <laughs> and uh, so they go trying everything else, like they'll get into drugs or sex or gambling or alcohol or whatever the hell they're. Mm-hmm. Getting and usually those end up 
being a bigger problem than the problem that you had before. Mm. And you only get a real limited amount of peace out of that thing, which is damn temporary. It's inconsequential. Versus if you rest in Christ and live in Christ, you have that peace. I have a peace that's out of this world. In fact, I have it to the point where people come and talk to me, and I'll walk with them to leave, and they'll go, man, I feel so good coming and talking to you. Mm -hmm. That's why. Yeah. Not me, that's Christ. So, and then they thank me. And I say, don't thank me, thank the good Lord. Yeah. Because he's given me that ability and the grace to share it with the other people. It's real important. Mm -hmm. And people have done that for me. I, uh, don't kid yourself. I didn't get here mm -hmm. by my lonesome. Well, I thank the good Lord for you. And I, <laughs> and I thank you as well. <laughs> I tell people this sometimes when they're real good at what they do. I thank the good Lord for your talent and I thank you for sharing it. I love it. Huh? Yeah, I've told good. people that you got to see the look on their face. I don't do it unless it's mm -hmm. sincere and and uh, needed. You know, it's yeah. A, yeah. it's not phony. I don't want to do phony. It won't work. Yeah, I've done that to people, and you got to see their look on their face. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they think their talents just all because of themselves are full of prunes. They right. haven't figured it out yet, right. or if they think, golly, that's an interesting concept, or I don't know what they're thinking is, but. Well, this has been amazing. I appreciate your time as always. Well, I'm and happy to do um, it. I, I, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't anticipate that. I, this has been on my hit list for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah. Bucket list. I'm on yeah. the bucket list. I'm yeah. in the bucket. Huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I appreciate everything about you. I, I love and appreciate everything you've done for me. And well, thanks for taking this too, time. Dude. It's not, it's a two, two sided street, you know, two yeah. way, two way street. Good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and, I, I, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't anticipate that. I, this has been on my hit list for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah. Bucket list. I'm on yeah. the bucket list. I'm yeah. in the bucket. Huh? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, I appreciate everything about you. I, I love and appreciate everything you've done for me. And well, thanks for taking this time. Too, it's not, it's a two, two sided street, you know, it's a two yeah. way, two way street. Good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.